You're listening to WorkWire, sponsored by Career Club and Sherm. Career Club has a range of services aimed at job seekers with an empathetic approach. Whether you are a job seeker yourself, know someone who is in job search, or an HR professional looking to bring a more empathetic approach to transitioning employees, check out career.club. If you are an HR professional seeking to enhance your skills, subscribe to Sherm and explore their extensive resources. Visit Sherm.org. That's SHRM.org. Hello, everybody. This is Bob Goodwin with my good friend, Johnny C. Taylor, Jr., CEO and president of Sherm. Johnny, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, my man. How are you? I am doing fine. So good to see you. Likewise, likewise. It's a wonderful Saturday morning. We have another really great episode of the WorkWire that we're going to be uh, doing today. And uh, it's a topic that we kind of touched on on a previous episode when we were going on compensation. Yes. And kind of more broadly, one of the things that uh, you and I were talking about offline that we thought would be a great topic for today is the uh, pretty public uh, uh, news stories around collective bargaining yeah. So we've got like the Screen Actors Guild, everybody's familiar now with, you know, Hollywood has pressed the pause button because they're trying to negotiate a better contract. The writers and actors are. We saw where United Airlines recently uh, did a new contract with their pilots, including 40% increase yep. for some people over four years, 40%, which is crazy. And then I want to read just a little bit, Johnny, and this is just all setting some context and then, and then we can pick it up. UPS down in Atlanta just did their contract. And this is just some quote from the, uh, from the, uh, the Teamsters Union who negotiated this. The overwhelming lucrative contract raises wages for all workers, creates more full-time jobs, includes dozens of workplace protections. Uh, we demanded the best contract in the history of UPS and we got it, said their general president. We've changed the game battling out day and night to make sure our members won on an agreement that doesn't require a single concession. This contract sets a new standard in the labor movement, raising the bar for all. And, and so we've got, and I think we've also seen you, Starbucks is looking at unionization. Amazon is facing this. So well, just and, want to talk about labor. Uh, while you're talking about what we didn't point to is yellow. Yellow oh my gosh, yes, please go ahead. Teamsters did the same thing and, and would not accept any concessions. And now the company's in bankruptcy and 30,000 of their, their employees are without jobs. So, I mean, let's talk about that in the process as well. We talk about where it's worked and then we haven't talked about the 30,000 or so Americans who now don't have jobs. Yeah. So from where you sit, what, what, what's the underpinning of what's going on, of why there's you know, just a lot of movement. And these are big chunks of the economy, right, that affect yes. everybody. If you fly, this, if yep. you watch TV, if you've ever ordered a pat, I mean, I think I just included everybody. That's right. <laughs> so, I mean, this, this isn't just sort of these weird pockets of the economy. This is everybody. What, what's going on? I think there are two things that are happening. First of all, you know, elections have consequences. And this is not a political statement, but... President Biden, then candidate Biden, made very clear that this was going to be union's house and that he was going to be very friendly to America's labor unions. And so it is a promise that's been delivered. Again, mm -hmm. this is not about whether I think that's good or bad. It doesn't matter. This is partly why. No surprise. The most important and powerful person in the world, but clearly, arguably in the world, but clearly in the United States has said, 
we are you're going to have a more palatable environment and has actually gone so far as to appoint people at the NLRB who are doing everything. All you have to just watch the activity Mm -hmm. to make it more union friendly and less employer friendly. Again, no political argument here. It just is what it is. They said it and they're doing it. The second thing, though, which people don't talk about a lot, is much of what they are fighting for is increased wages. Yes. And part of that, to be fair, is because costs have gone up. As you've seen, costs go up. Employees say my paycheck goes further, goes doesn't go as far. And employees are now demanding these increases because they need them. Mm-hmm. And companies have not been willing to give it to them at the race that they should have them. And therefore, the disconnect. But here's the big story. The big story, and you and I have talked about this a lot, Bob, mm-hmm. during the pandemic. Yep. We pre-pandemic, we were talking about how do we get to a $15 an hour minimum wage? Remember that? Mm-hmm. Doubling of it over time. It would take five years, seven years, and we okay. Fast forward, the pandemic occurs. We bring through, we have the stimulus plan, as I will call it, where we essentially bailed Americans out and we started giving them six hundred dollars a week from the federal government. Then you layer on top of that, that same person who was unemployed could also get about $350 to $400 a week from the state, right, is unemployment. Combine that. That's roughly $1,000 a week. Divided by $40 an hour, 40 hours a week, you get $25 an hour. That became the new minimum wage expectation for employees. So all of that has driven this conversation around I was getting 25 bucks an hour to sit at home and do nothing. And now you want me to come back to work for 10, 15, even $20 an hour. And that's not interesting to them. So the unions have raised the game as a result of this conversation. It's because employees are saying, I'm used to $25 an hour now. Mm-hmm. One of the other things I, you're talking about the pandemic too, is there seems to be some pent up frustration on the part of people that were, um, you know, considered essential workers. Yeah. Right. And it's like, Hey, we busted our tails during this thing. We put ourselves out there and I'm not sure we ever got paid for that. Well, but Bob, let me tell you, and some of them felt like, cause companies were giving supplements on top of it yeah. and battle pay and war pay. I've heard all sorts of that, but what they were saying was we're essential. We're working hard. We're making, I used to make 10 bucks an hour. They paid me 15 bucks an hour. But the guy next door was making 25 bucks an hour. So that's why I put that in there. It's just people, you judge it relative to I'm working hard, putting my life at risk. This person is at home, not by choice. They were laid off. They were fired. They were furloughed, whatever. I mean, they're not judging their neighbor. They're just saying 25, 20, eh, not so much. Yeah. So, so I guess there's some consequences. That's it. That's, that's that's right. We are because I mean, just as you know, decent human beings, we want folks to be able to have a good living, right, and be able to afford stuff. And as you say, you know, uh, inflation is definitely a thing, and people are spending a lot more than they were previously for the same stuff, right. And if my pay didn't go up, then how's that supposed to work? Now we do know from some economic numbers that savings are actually still pretty high. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And and the American consumer, you know, has got money in the bank still from yes. that twenty-five dollar hour job that right. they had uh, <laughs> when they couldn't go out and spend it. Right. But but that is starting to get worked down, 
right? Yes. And, and people are starting to, for sure, feel the pinch of higher food prices, higher fuel prices, higher everything prices. Right. Um, so, so that's got to come from somewhere. And what we're not talking enough about is great. So UPS, name it, this isn't picking on UPS, pick anyone, says, fine, I'm going to pay you $170,000 to be a driver. And so UPS says, oh, Bob Goodwin, Johnny Taylor, that package that you should send overnight for 19 bucks, it's now 29 bucks. Mm -hmm. The consumer like the money has to come from somewhere. And that's what everyone loses in these conversations. It's right. like the company doesn't want to pay people more. Well, no, the company actually just needs to make a profit. And so if if it can't do it and it will do it, by the way, or it will go out of business, it just passes the cost on to the employee, uh, to the consumer. So you've got this vicious cycle. I need more money as a consumer. Therefore, I need you to raise my salary. When you raise my salary, the cost of goods go up. So the product manufacturer or service creator provider has to increase its prices. And we're in this vicious, vicious cycle called inflation. Mm -hmm. And thus the conversation. So it's, it's, you don't expect everyone or me for that matter to have an economics degree, but you have to understand that if McDonald's, as an example, raises its frontline salaries from what was maybe $18 to $15, $20 an hour, the happy meal is not so happy. Wait, and, and how much does California want to take it up to? Right. That's 25 bucks. That's what we're yeah. hearing. The unions have stated. I was on a call the other day with a woman from, I think it was SEIU, but they have a, a now an initiative, statewide initiative in California to go to 25 bucks an hour. That's the minimum wage. And then those of us who are in HR understand compression, which means, okay, so if the frontline person is making 25 and the lead or the supervisor used to make 19, well, you've got to take them up. And so now you take that person to 27, which means the manager has to go to 30, which means the double. So it's not just what the entry level person makes. It's the impact, the push up against the regular salaries that we then refer to in HR as compression from a comp standpoint. And we've got to differentiate the pay. So the costs really go throughout the organization. When uh, so, so it's the ripple effect. It's the ripple of, effect. Uh, of, of, so compression would be my, my pay is now kind of too close to my supervisors. We it. need to create a little bit of difference there. So that yeah. role looks attractive to the supervisor. Like, why am I doing this? We do it. People manage well, being as hard as it is. Well, okay. So one of the great things about talking to you is, is you like to walk around an issue and sort of explore it from different angles. Well, one of the angles, though, is CEO compensation has, as a percent of median compensation, gone up significantly. Yes. So uh, in 2018, I believe, it was like 280 times the median salary of an employee at, at, within the same company. Now it's 450 times. So I hear you on compression, right? but I'm hearing expansion at the very top end uh, of that. And, and is that a place that people are looking to like, well, how much money do you need to make to run this company again? So, so I, I'm of two schools on that. And that's why I love talking with you. One is I, you know, so much of CEO compensation is especially in the United States is at risk and it's tied to equity. 
When Correct. you see the big headlines, you and I know, when you hear ex-CEO makes $30 million a year, no one's shelling out $30 million of cash and divide that by 26 pay periods. They're not getting that. And the average person believes that. So you're sort of comparing apples to oranges. When you get your salary of 50 grand a year, 70 grand a year, mm-hmm. it's divided by 26 and that's what it is. The CEOs, as you know, many of them are making handsome salaries. But when you factor in the equity, that's Correct. what you get to this disparity. And the funny thing about equity is you only get it if the company performs. It's, mm-hmm. it's or you know, so I think there's an overly simplistic math that's being done when you compare what a CEO's final salary is over a period of time to that of his rank and file employees or her rank and file employees. So let's start with that is we've got to stop with the hyperbole and the the not fully explaining to the masses what we're really doing when we talk about math. The second issue for me is while people talk a lot about the disparity and indeed there is a disparity no one complains about paying two, three thousand dollars a minute to a professional athlete. <laughs> right. So the CEO who that role carries all of the pressures of the world is not for a season. It's for 365 days per year. At any moment, you can be fired. All of that. You know, there's no union protection for, you know, a CEO. If they come, even if your board just didn't like you, they fire you. I mean, it is what it is. We've mm-hmm. seen it in public. In fact, I just read an article. CEO turnover is at an all time high right now because wow. boards are making shifts, et cetera. But the point is that, you know, it's amazing how we get selectively outraged about what a CEO's pay is. But we don't blink when a professional athlete makes an absurd amount of money or when an entertainer, I was looking at the Taylor Swift and Beyonce tickets selling for thousands of dollars for people to go see a three hour show. And no one's screaming about that. They'll raise holy hell about Walmart raising the price for toilet paper, right? But they will pay whatever it is and stay up all night to go see a performer sing a song that you know you could get for free on YouTube, right? This is the problem here. And we've got to, on WorkWire, like help people have honest conversations about why do you feel so passionately about how much CEOs make and you don't blink when an NBA player makes 10 times what that CEO could make? Mm-hmm. Okay, so so no, I, don't, I don't go down too big of a rabbit trail on athletes, but of course their earning years are very short. And the right. CEO's earning years are pretty damn short. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But, but I'm going to get out of my depth, so you can you can kind of keep me safe here. But on the on the I want to go back to your first point, which is comp that's based on equity, not just cash comp, which is a very well made point. And thank you for clarifying that because I agree with you. I don't think people always appreciate that. Hey, ninety percent of that actually came from equity. Ten percent came from their salary, and again, fair salary. Like anybody would take that, but yeah. it's sort of the difference between compensation coming from the balance sheet, which is the equity, right. and compensation coming from the income statement, which is as a cost. Yes. Right. Yeah. So, what is this? Is where I'm officially out of my depth. What is the prevalence, if at all, beyond you know executives at a company of stock, like a, a pool of stock. If I'm a public company, right, my market cap is, you know, $10 billion right. of a pool of stock being 
out there, not to distribute necessarily as shares, but just on the gain. And we're going to harvest some of that gain and then distribute that in the form of bonuses. Well, so there's a lot of that increasingly. In fact, I was with Ed Bastian, the CEO of Delta, and they absolutely do that. All of their employees essentially have some ownership in the company. And it's becoming more and more of a thing. It really is. And employees, we don't talk about it a lot. And I think companies don't talk about it a lot. Back in the day, equity was saved for the top 1% or so. And you're right. That, that trend has kind of gone away with all of the startups. When they don't have a lot of cash to come off of, you know, to, mm-hmm. to pull out of daily operations, they trade lower salaries for higher equity or for a share of equity. So, right. and we've seen companies, you know, people who are mid-level managers, I mean, listen, rank and file employees walk away with million dollar packages when Amazon hit, if they came in the beginning and yep. took their salary. So you're right. Fair call out that we don't talk enough about how last week, you know, you and I talked about total rewards and the entire compensation package. And people haven't taken time to break that down. To answer your question is it's increasing. Some of your biggest brands are now doing it. And then on top of that, things like 401k, where you are matched as a CEO, my 401k match is negligible compared to what I make. And as a proportion Percentage wise, an employee can actually do a significantly enhance their salaries if they are matched dollar for dollar on their 401k as a percentage. Right. So all of this, when we talk about compensation and total rewards, we probably need to do a better job of educating people. So you're right. It's happening. More of it is occurring. But here's the downside. And this is the biggie on the lower end of the salary scale. If I gave you too much upside, you also have the downside and then you can't pay your mortgage. See, a CEO could, right. as you said, make $750,000 in base salary and get $5 million in bonus on equity. That $5 million could be zero. Ask the people at Yellow. Mm-hmm. Right? It could be wiped out. Ask some of the people from GE. Look at Boeing, a big company like Boeing. When they were in the hole, a lot of those folks wiped out tens of millions of dollars. For sure. They've got to be able to live through that kind of a salary cut, if you will. And the average employee can't afford to have that much volatility. They need certainty. So that is the upside to getting cash over equity. Equity sounds good when it hits. But right. When it Fails, you're in bad shape. No, no, and, and and that's for sure. What I was sort of putting out there is rather than you know, taking it as, I mean, first of all, this oh, is yeah. a, I was thinking of a bonus pool, you know, and and that 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 allotment of shares is still in the name of the company. Those are yes. company held shares, yes. right? They're just harvesting some of that to fund a pool yes. of bonuses. And you make a very good point around startups. And, and there's, you want to talk about now that employee is truly taking the risk, huge risk, huge. Right? I mean, they are, they are acting like an equity owner that they truly are. I am going to trade short-term comp, work my tail off. And hopefully this thing turns into a thing and I cash out on another day. And we know statistically that isn't what happens most often. Most of the time, but we right. know that most people don't understand and most people don't understand that a lot of CEOs leave most of that public salary, which yeah. you thought was the 40 million. Most of them won't ever see that either as a practical matter. 
Let me ask you this, though. So we've kind of been talking like all the economics of how this works, but what about what's societally, what is going on? Because it feels a little bit of like, you know, kind of back with the man and like, screw the man. Like, I'm tired of getting hosed. Like, I want my pound of flesh. And you fat cats, like, I'm over it. Like, you owe me. Yeah. We're, we're going to negotiate hard. And to your earlier point, thank goodness the administration's behind us, not you. Well, that's it. We are clearly at a point that I've not felt in my career now. And I don't know about you. would be interesting to hear what you think about it. But we uh, the the tension that exists between management and employees. And this isn't just in a unionized environment, just period where it's us versus they is at an all time high. I, I just I, I can just it's palpable. And it's everything from where do I work? When do I work? Can you surveil me while I'm working? Conversations talked about. about. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, there is an us versus they thing that's in the air. And by the way, it sort of follows society. Everyone's mad right now, Bob. <laughs> Over the last two or three years, like we all rallied together and we unified because we had this common enemy called COVID. Yep. And but let me tell you, as soon as we kind of got to the other side of COVID and even during COVID, there was mask versus people who didn't believe masks, didn't believe in wearing masks. So we saw this divide amongst our population, the citizenry that is playing itself out. So no surprise to me that in the workplace, we're still seeing another type of divide. It's almost like people have gone, they go out of their way to figure out why am I different than you? Not why yes. am I common? And, and that's an overall problem. And, and, and we're seeing it on you know full stage right now with where are we going to work? How are we going to work? Well, no, that, that's right. I think that a lot of this, you know, it, it's anger, but it's also to, to a, a great extent, I believe, stress, right? I'm just stressed. Out. I mean, we know mental wellness, mental health of people yeah. is, is not as high as anybody would like to see. The majority of Americans feel fairly high level of stress. And so, you know, whether it's inflation, you know, you, the, the boss is trying to make me go back to the office. I don't want that commute anymore. Thank you very much. Right. You know, and and like people understand cash. Right. To your earlier point, everybody understands cash. Right. And like this is how it's one way that I can improve my life and feel better. And we're going to raise hell about it. And and listen, that's fine. I and I do think, like I said, you and I are on the same page where people we all want everyone who works in particular to have a good living wage because it's pointless to be the working poor. Right. We get it. But there is a cost. You've got to understand the other side of that. And that's why I described that vicious cycle of you get paid more, product costs more, consumer has to pay more. And it just keeps going and going and going. So I got it. I do say this is an opportunity for those who are listening to WorkWire right now. This is an opportunity for HR in particular and people managers to be more intentional about how you communicate these things. I mean, it's easy to say the CEO gets the big dollars because it's the CEO. But if we really did what you and I just kind of engaged in and explained to our employees that the headline is not how it started, right? Yeah. Uh, and if we explain that, people might be, they won't be fully bought into it because the numbers just feel big. But if we also explain to our employees what it will do to us competitively, if we pay you significantly more, 
and, and then we therefore have to raise our prices and our competitor doesn't, then we're at a competitive disadvantage and we may end up not having a company or not performing as well. We just haven't done, and I own this, HR hasn't done, people managers, we don't explain to people the economics of anything of their jobs, of their salaries, of our company. Yeah. So they just think the fat, greedy guys at the top are making all of the money and they're withholding from us. That's an, that's an HR opportunity is we've got to communicate better. And I'm seeing a lot, by the way, a lot of companies are now separating out in their comms function. External communications work yeah. goes to marketing. Internal communications goes to HR and they hire a communications expert, not an HR person, a communications expert and put them strategically in HR to say when we roll whatever we're going to roll out, we need to look at them as our internal customers, just like the exactly. right and then communicate differently. You're at, we're asking yesterday, someone asked me about how are you so, so, so successful at getting your folks to come back to the office without raising hell? I said, well, some percentage of them did and quit. So I'm not going to pretend like I had a lock on it, but we embedded a comms person and we sat down as a team and strategically said, what's going to, what messages will go over better? They happen to be true, by the way, but what messages <laughs> work? And when we did that, we significantly reduced the friction and the noise. So that's what I think here is we've got to do better and the unions do a phenomenal job, Bob, just as you started the whole this yeah. hour out, right? They know how to communicate. They're very clear. Their talking points are their talking points. And they have an answer when they win. They have an answer when they lose. I was reading the press release the Teamsters issued on Yellow. And it was, of course, all management's fault. It had nothing to do with the fact that they were demanding ridiculous rates, uh, uh, salary rates and increases and pension costs. They didn't explain that. That's another one. I'm going to say this real quickly. Pensions. Yes. Pensions are, you know, there was a day when most of us could look forward to some sort of a pension. Now, it swung down to almost nothing and you're relying on 401ks, but 401ks are tied to the market. So if the market drops, so too does your 401k mm -hmm. and all of that. Well, we've not communicated that at all to employees. We just, they don't understand any of that. And that's frankly our fault. Well, so I, you know, my, my other big passion is marketing. And, and so, you know, we've had on, on the other Career Club Live podcast, you know, very top shelf marketers. And it's exactly what you said. We have stakeholders, all of whom need to be communicated with effectively, not just our in consumer that we're trying to sell stuff to, but like you say, like our employee base. And you're just helping people understand. And we've said this many times, but every complicated problem has a simple solution and it's wrong. Like th these are naughty problems. <laughs> this is not easy to do, but you know, when people understand you know, the broader context of how decisions are being made and, and realizing that there's not a perfect answer that's going to satisfy everyone. Oh. It doesn't exist. Like, like, like you would say, like, let's be grownups here. Right. Like, like there's not, not everybody's going to be happy here, but we're, we're working for the best answer given the constraints and the resources we have to apply to this. And then, as you say, then communicating that to people effectively and if some people are like, that doesn't work for me, Got it. you know what? The next company is going to be dealing with all kind of the same constraints. Oh, and, you know, it, it, it's a little bit of it is what it is. But, you know, as, as you said, you know, the pandemic has just accelerated all these trends. And, 
we're in this new abnormal yep. that we find ourselves in. And we it, it, to have a conversation about a 40% increase over four years is as abnormal as anything I've ever heard, right? I mean, just be, and when I, when I introduced that idea of the new abnormal, uh, people are like, what is he getting at? Just stop and ask yourself, like the idea that employees, non-represented, so I'm not talking about in a union, would come in and make demands, not requests, of their managers and employees, demands. When employees walk out, again, not represented by, this is not collective behavior protected by, you know, NLRB or whatever. Yeah. I'm talking just, well, I don't like that, so I'm not coming back, or, and I'll be back when I decide to come back. Yeah. This is all abnormal, and we are all adjusting to managing, which is the biggie here. People managers uh, have not been equipped, right, to manage this incredibly uh, tension-filled environment right now called the workplace. And, yes. and that's where we're just we're screwing up left and right because we're trying to respond in pre-COVID ways to a post-COVID mindset, employee yeah. mindset, and it's just not working. It's simply not working. And we're all, I can tell you as an HR profession, as SHRM in particular, saying let's re-equip, upskill, reskill HR folks to deal in an environment where you see an, a reported 40% increase in salaries. And by the way, that headline, let me tell you what it does. Even if you're in a non-unionized workplace, when my non-unionized employees hear about that, they come in and say, and you want to give me 4% a year over the next four years? Hmm. Hmm. I think I need somebody fighting for me. That's right. That And so this thing gets really crazy. And then I do want to understand, I've not looked into the details of it, but of course the media will, you know, the average driver or whatever the headline was will make $170,000 at UPS or something like yes. that. We have to dissect that too and understand, is that the average? Is that someone who's been in that truck for 20 years and works in the middle of the desert delivering packages on 115 degree days. You know, we do have to make sure because sometimes it includes premiums for people who work in really bad neighborhoods. Uh, you know, there are all sorts of things that who work the night shift and there's a premium for that. Like there are things that we need mm -hmm. to know. And again, that's an opportunity for HR within those organizations and more broadly to have a comms person say, yeah, it's 170, but out of their 50,000 drivers, three of them are going to get that <laughs> because of the unique circumstances in which they work. And all of it is a comms game. But that's what we're talking about these days is we are, as my final closing comments on this is, it's all money. It's all money. And what we've got to do is explain money better to our employees, how our companies make money how they lose money and what part they play in it. I just did it in my shop. Mm -hmm. I sat down and said the single largest item in our budget line of the budget is people. So, you know, and I did the math. I said X is what our salary or what I spent on salaries this year. If I give you a 4% raise, we start the year next year that much in the hole financially. So even if we perform next year, just like we did this year, once yep. I give you a 4% increase, I've got to now, I start in the hole and we've got to dig out of that and we've got to do pricing. We've got to just, and it's amazing. When you explain that to employees, you've got to, and I don't, some people say dumb it down. No, it's not dumbing down. It's explaining. 
it. When you explain it to them as adults, they sit around and say, I got it. You start the year. We've got to find $3 million, $4 million before we even start the year yes. to pay for my merit increase. Got it. Pharmaceuticals went up. Got it. If we add a lot of the weight reduction treatments now, yep. they're really expensive. So you add all of that in there. That means that cost of insurance has to go up. So I don't simply roll out a double digit increase next year. I explain with specific examples, not calling out people, but describing circumstances and people all of a sudden get it. That's what we've got to do. Yeah. So I, I appreciate that. And, and as you said, you know, uh, today and previously, helping people understand one, how the business works. We're not the government. We can't just keep printing money. There's a business here that has to work for us to have this entity that we all go to and, and contribute at. But then also helping folks understand the economics of the business and then helping, helping people understand through better communications, the total rewards, some that are hard rewards, some that are soft rewards. Right. Right. And what do you value? And again, as we, I think this has become part of our theme here. There is no such thing as a good culture, or bad culture. Does it work for you? Yeah. And if this total rewards package works for you, awesome. And if it doesn't, awesome. Yep. Like, go be happy. That's right. So, you know, but, but it sounds like, you know, education, communication are really kind of the, the, the key links here. To, to coming to, you know, something that everybody can live with if, right. you know, to, to the best that they can. Any other parting thoughts, Johnny, on this one? Yeah, no one is paid with their worth. <laughs> I mean, right, as a fundamental matter, maybe some of the athletes are, but, but in corporate America, largely no one's paid with their worth. And so the idea that you just, that, that sentiment that you described, which is, come to a happy place, a medium where, where you kind of understand, I think I'm paid reasonably, reasonably well, hopefully for my job, but I'm never going to be paid what I'm worth because we probably could, we can't afford it. All of us have extreme value and it's hard to quantify. So we're just doing our best to get you into a space where you can live a good life and do, you know, take your family on a vacation every once in a while, buy a place in the Bahamas, you know, whatever. <laughs> Gotcha. <laughs> You're blushing. Feel God. like we're making a difference in society, making a positive contribution. Yes. Society in the Bahamas. But mm -hmm. uh, no, it's uh, that's what this is all about. And, and we all have that. All of us want each other to yeah. pursue and achieve that American dream. Awesome. Johnny, as always, super stimulating. For people who are uh, watching, listening, thank you so much. You know, if you've got a moment, please take a, a second to like, subscribe on YouTube. Uh, we'd love for you to subscribe on the podcast. Rate and review is super helpful. Johnny C. Taylor Jr., a pleasure as always. I will see you on the next episode of The Workwire. The Workwire. Check out career.club for personalized help with your job search. Visit shrm.org to become part of the largest human resources organization worldwide.